Our God is an awesome God. I don't know if you remember that song from BBS. And there's a little hand signal. We won't do it. But our God is an awesome God. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He is very, very powerful. Yet he is very, very personal. For some, their power comes from their title. Right? I am powerful because I'm the president of the United States. The power doesn't because of who I am, but because of my title. But our God's sovereignty, I'm sorry, but our God's name is his title. His name is his title, and that reflects his power. For some, their power comes from the responsibility. But our God's sovereignty over all things glorifies his power. And for some, their power comes from what and who they have conquered. Right? These are kings. But, but our God's power is seen and enjoyed by all that he has created, not by all he has conquered. And the book of John begins with these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The name of God is so holy that its prominence is protected in one of the Ten Commandments received by Moses. These commandments, which became the foundation of God's love for all people for all time, our modern laws are based on these same rules of law established by God himself. And among them, we find these words found in Exodus 27 that says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Other translations use terms like use his name for evil purposes or in vain. Maybe that's the one you're familiar with. But the message, which is a a paraphrase of the Bible, reads this way. No one using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter, God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. Now, I know the paraphrases, the the message is a really loose paraphrase, and and I don't necessarily recommend it for, for study, but I like the word there. It says, God won't put up with irreverent use of his name. In Exodus 34, we read where Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments again. Did you know he received them a second time? There's a fun fact. A lot of you know that I see nodding, but if not, read that story. Why were there two sets of Ten Commandments? That's a good story. Exodus 34. But in verse 5, we find these words. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Now, I'm sure that was an impressive entrance. And, and just being in the presence of God, I mean, wow, right? We all talk about it, the song, I can only imagine being in that presence. But scripture includes another powerful facet of this when it says, he proclaimed his name, the Lord. Do you think you can command such power with the entrance? Can you walk into a room and say, my name is Tyler? It's about what I'd expect. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you in the front row. (laughs) I mean, depending on the crowd, you might get the half-hearted clap from your wife. You might get a, hello, Tyler. Or you may get a so what? Like, who are you? This is a true story. I'm going to put on the record. I wasn't going to share this. And and if my parents are here, they'd fill in all the details. So feel free to ask them. But I didn't like my name growing up. I didn't like my name. I didn't know any other Tylers. No. Ironically, my daughter had five in her grade in elementary school. But I didn't know a single one. So I had another name that I asked to go by. Okay? I won't tell you what it is. This is something that you can just get out of my parents if you want. Um, it was a more common name, and for some reason I changed my last name too. And the reason, I'm not, the reason I'm not telling you is because this will haunt me forever if I tell you. But the thing is this, parents, some friends of my parents still to this day will call me this name. How is so-and-so? It's funny. But 
Our God is so powerful that the inference to his name, just the inference to his name is powerful. And in Exodus 3, we find where Moses encountered God at the burning bush. You know the story. And after being instructed to go to the Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of Egypt, we find these words in verses 13 through 15. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? The what shall then I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. And we have called God by his powerful name since that time, and we will obediently and reverently continue to do so forever. Now, long before the birth of Christ, there was a Hebrew man born in Jerusalem by the name of Isaiah who would find his calling as a prophet. And many of his prophecies are recorded in the Old Testament and fulfilled by Jesus Christ. So let's look at one you're familiar with. This is Isaiah 9.6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We also know from Isaiah this child is, called, named, is to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This child, Jesus Christ, is not only the Son of God, but also the physical embodiment of him. As such, the power of God's love shown through him and his name, just as was described in Isaiah over 700 years earlier. And his name became powerful too. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 reads, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him, through whom he had made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. There's a lot of important statements in that. I want to take it apart for a minute. It says, God speaks to us by his son. No longer through the prophets alone, but by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. God has given Jesus power over this world and all things. Through him, he made the universe. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, right? And we're expected to reflect that as well. And it says he's the exact representation of his being. Now, does that mean that Jesus is what God looks like? Or is he the representation of being, being saying all the love, all the passion, all the mercy and grace and wisdom is a reflection, a direct reflection of exactly what God is, love and compassion and patience and grace. And it says Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. And the last sentence really needs to be heard again. It says, after he provided purification for sins, because that's what Jesus came to do, right, to save, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now this is God's throne. And the right hand is a place of power, of prominence, of authority, respect, and trust. Okay? This is God's right-hand man. That's where that came from. 
And then continues, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. That, my friends, is a powerful name. Inherited by God and superior even to the angels that surround God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This name is so loaded with power that scripture is filled with examples of how the name alone accomplished great things. If you were to look in Luke 4, Matthew 8, Mark 5, we find accounts of Jesus coming to the rescue of people tormented by demons. Jesus doesn't chant mystical words. He doesn't, uh, you know, that no one understands. There's no grand production or stage drama for all to see. And in fact, listen to what the demons say to Jesus at his mere presence. The demons say, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth, they know his name. They know his name. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And with his words alone, he commands and they leave the ones they torment. That power exists today. Are you tormented? Are you tormented by a habit, by a memory? In Jesus' name, ask it to leave you alone, to go away. James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. That is the power of the names of God. And with that power, Jesus became the way. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And Romans 10.12-13, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now this is in response to a conversation happening that says, God is God of all, then Jews and Gentiles. He created them. He is everyone's God. Okay? You don't have to believe in him. He believes in you. You don't have to believe he made you because he did make you. That doesn't change a thing. So when I say you don't have to, you really, you really do. But I'm telling you, it doesn't make a bit of difference because God is who God is, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And in response to this conversation about he's the God of all, they said, the same Lord is the Lord of all, and he blesses all that call on him. If then... If they call, then he will. It's a promise on his side. The choice is on ours. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone. Acts 2, 36-39. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Right? There's a little dig. He made him both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They know now the story. They know who he was. And even if they weren't the exact ones who did it, they know it was mankind that crucified the Son of God, the one that came to save them. And Peter replies this way. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. There is power in that name. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. You know, Revelations talks about Jesus being at the door knocking. Will you invite him in? He knocks for every single person. 
And this isn't just for you, it's for your children and your children's children. That is an awesome promise. Does anybody here not want their children to be better off and happier than we are? We do. That's one of the things. That's our legacy. Even when they're being just brats, (laughs) we still want good things because we love them. God's made this promise to us. This is a part of our legacy. It's part of our responsibility. Now, the name of uh, the power of the name of God is to be revered, just as, just as it was commanded in the Ten Commandments. And the power and reverence was inherited or shared, really, with his son whom he sent to do his will on, on earth. God passed that down. He shared with Jesus that power. And Jesus uses power of his name as the son of God and the way to salvation for people, all people. Then as he was preparing to leave this world to take his place at the right hand of God as our advocate, what did he do? Was his power lost? Put away, never to be used again? Did he take it with him? I'm taking my name and my power and I'm going back to dad? No, he shared it with you. He shared it with you. That's right. You have the power of Jesus' name as a tool that equips you to continue Jesus' ministry on earth until the day of his return. That's not just advice. That's his commandment. John 16, 23 through 24. Jesus is, is he's foretelling his death, okay? And, and his disciples are, are disheartened. Like, we love you. We've only been together a short while and you're doing these amazing things. We're finally getting our, our groove on, right? I'm paraphrasing a lot. And, and, and he says, and they're like, and you're leaving? And this is what Jesus says. He says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now we know what happens to Jesus, right? And we know he comes back and he appears. And in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, you'll maybe recognize this because this is the great commission. But listen to this. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore Go and make disciples of all nations. Now listen to this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He explains it a little differently in Luke 24, 44 to 47. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled as was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. It says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Wow. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. This is Jesus' legacy. It wasn't finished. He didn't go away. He passed it on. We inherited the power and the responsibility of his name. In Mark 16 and 17, it says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. In Luke 10, 17 through 19, we find the story where Jesus sent 72 ahead of him. Two by two, it says, to every town and place where he was about to go. And in these passages, we find these words. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the, the workers are few. Maybe you've heard that. But listen to what happens. It says the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the powers of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That's power of a name. Now, last week we talked about how God is still performing miracles and a lot of ways through people like us. We, we recognize and we, we realize that some of the way God has answered our prayer and worked miracles in our life is by using people whether they realized it or not. And God even uses us to be that miraculous answer or direction in other people's lives. And what a blessing is to be a part of it. How will you respond? How will you claim this promise and put your faith in action when you're called to be a miracle? When you're called to do something in Jesus' name? Let's find our answer in Scripture because this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to ask Him. And in Colossians 3.17 it says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through him. Everything you do, do in his name. Again, you don't have to run around the street saying, I am so-and-so, and in God's name I die. You know, people will roll their eyes. But you can certainly act Christ-like. Love, forgive. That's tough, right? Love, forgive. And all the while knowing by doing so, you're glorifying his name. And we give God the glory. In Psalms 115, 1, it says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. It's not about us. I'm glad I was able to be an answered prayer for you. But that's because God, not because of me. I'm just so glad to be a part of it. That's a blessing. And of course, we have the words of the Great Commission where we are told to go. It says, go, share the good news and baptize in his name. But I have to warn you, to warn you, you must know Jesus to act in his name, just like God commanded in Exodus. Acts 19, 13 through 16, listen to this. It says, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I was thinking about this, and, and I watch a lot of movies, and I was trying to find something appropriate. I didn't really find anything good, but one thing jumped in my mind. I, you, there's always that scene where the hero is, is fighting somebody and then he comes up to someone bigger than him and it doesn't always end well. And I was remembering the original Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't know if you remember this. And, and he's about to escape in that plane and he's fighting the pilot and he's fighting the guy on the ground and this big mechanic comes over. And Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, punches him and nothing happens. And he just kind of looks like, uh-oh. Don't put yourself in an uh-oh moment. There's a lot of power in the name that is given you. There's a lot of power and ability if you know how to use the tool. Remember, the Bible, it's not a weapon. And it is against evil, but it's not a weapon against man. I'm not going to tell you something and beat you with this book, okay? It's a defensive weapon. It's a tool that helps us find our way to the way God calls us to be. Beware of those who do things in the name of God but aren't acting like God would want them to act. And that's a warning to us too. But as I conclude this message, let me be very direct about the good news of the power of his name. 
in 1 Corinthians 6.11, we find these reassuring words written by the Apostle Paul to Christ's followers in Corinth, who, who just like us, they were sinning. They were sinners. Paul writes, and that is what some of you were, and he's referring to their sins, the various types of sin. He says, and that is what you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We are saved by his name. I'm not sure I could say it any better than the opening words of a letter found in 1 John 2.12. Listen to this. His writing letter says, I am writing you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on the account of his name. What wonderful, soothing words. Whatever you feel like you're facing and, and battling, you have the ability to be forgiven. Okay, It's not automatic. There's something you have to do. If you do this, then he will do that. If you confess your sins, you don't have to stand up now and shout them out. But if you say, God, I am so sorry that I did this, then you have opened that channel for him to forgive you. Remember, it's a powerful God, but it's a personal God. And he wants to hear from you. Now, we um, often want to make a name for ourselves. And we want to be, you know, in the name of Oprah. Well, she's famous. She's well-known. I see snickering. <laughs> I don't know if you mean to. She's famous, but, and, and she may be even influential, but she's not powerful, you know? President of the United States, again, very influential, arguably powerful, but the power comes from the title, right? The power that comes from your name comes from him. We are called to act like him. There was a time, and I, and I would love to think this still exists, and I still think it does in, in some respects, when your name meant so much. The power of your name was the handshake that says, I'm committed, and it meant something. That's not because of your good name. It is, but it's because you were living a Christ-like life, and you say, I will not lie. I will not covet. I will keep my word, and I will keep my promise. And that's a Christly thing. You're glorifying Christ when you do that, and that is what is being honored. So I'm going to conclude by saying that our God is an awesome God. I'll say it again. He is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He is very, very powerful, yet he is very, very personal. He sent his son to use his power in an even more personal way so that he could become the way to salvation. Not to condemn the world, but to save it. No other name can do that. And he invites you to him. Now, as is our tradition on the first Sunday of the month, we share communion, and this church practices open communion, and I love that. That means all are welcome to participate. There's no secret handshake. There's no membership that has to be done. There's no fee to pay at the door, and I say that tongue-in-cheek. I mean, the truth is this. God has invited every person, remember? He's the God of all. He's invited everyone. This, uh, this invitation is for all people, and it started on the night he was betrayed, when Jesus gathered with his disciples, including the one that would betray him. And he took a loaf of bread, the symbolic loaf, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And likewise, he gave thanks. And I love that Jesus gave thanks because if Jesus needed to talk to God, how much more do we? If Jesus needed to thank God, how much more do we? And he poured the wine and he said, this wine is my blood. He says, it is the new covenant. The Old Covenant, which is the law of Moses, is still in play. 
But now there is a new covenant, a new covenant, a new promise that provides a way of salvation. And he invites everyone. And not only does he invite, he encourages everyone. He says, go, make disciples, baptize, bring them to this table. And as we take our time over the next few moments to, to take the bread, the body, to drink the juice, the wine, listen to the song. And, and there's a powerful video, and it's called Come to the Table.